0: Hello and welcome to the Snowbrains podcast, where it's my job to interview the most intelligent people in the snow sports industry and pass their fascinating knowledge on to you, our listeners. I'm your host, Miles Clark. I'm a professional free skier, a professional mountain guide, a UC Berkeley molecular cell biology graduate, the founder and CEO of Snowbrains, and I once lost seven toenails in one ski season. It was bad. The Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by Alta Ski Area, home of the highest average annual snowfall in the Rocky Mountains. In this episode, we will be discussing ACL injury and reconstruction. The ACL is the anterior cruciate ligament of the human knee. The ACL is crucial in many important processes of knee movement, and tearing it is a very common injury in cutting and pivoting sports such as skiing, basketball, soccer, tennis, football, baseball, and more. My guest today is Dr. William Montgomery, MD. Dr. Montgomery is an orthopedic surgeon at Dignity Health Medical Foundation in San Francisco, California. Dr. Montgomery has performed over 1,000 ACL surgeries in his career and was the team physician for the San Francisco Giants baseball team for three years in the late 90s, early 2000s. Dr. Montgomery is the current team physician for the University of San Francisco. His resume is just insane. I'll paraphrase and just say that he has over 35 years of surgical experience. He's been the team physician for lots of important teams. He's been on many important boards. He's already in the University of San Francisco Hall of Fame. He's won lots of awards. He's in lots of impressive societies. He has over 20 publications, and he has given no less than 144 presentations, lectures, and labs on orthopedic surgery. Dr. Montgomery also performed ACL reconstruction surgery on my left knee and microfracture surgery on my left femur, in 2015 after I experienced a vicious ski crash in Japan that winter. Welcome to the Snowbrains podcast, Dr. Montgomery. Thank you very much for being here. How are you and where are you today?
1: I'm in uh, San Francisco Bay Area, hanging out, working today, was operating earlier today and glad to be here.
0: So you did do surgery today. Uh, Did you have any ACLs?
1: No, kind of interesting. Here we are talking about ACLs. And no ACLs today. I have been doing them, but not at the usual rate with the whole COVID pandemic going on. Uh, people are getting hurt, but not the same thing. Soccer, football, ski season was kind of a, a wash this year. Volleyball, a lot of these sports just aren't happening right now. The rotational sports. Everybody's riding a bike, jogging and hiking and things like that.
0: Well, that's a trick. I just didn't even cross my mind that the coronavirus shutdown would cause less injuries, but it's, it's obvious, you know, I hadn't even crossed my mind until I talked to you.
1: Yep, absolutely a decrease in injuries.
0: Well, let's jump right into it. In the USA, somewhere around 200,000 people tear their ACLs each year, with about 100,000 of those being full tears. There are about 100,000 ACL replacement surgeries in the USA every year. According to Vermont Safety Research, about 20,000 skiers tear their ACLs every year. How many times have you blown your ACL, Dr. Montgomery, and how and where did you do it?
1: So I've torn my left knee ACL, which is actually the more common knee. There's uh, many more left knees than uh, right knees for whatever reason. There's a a variety of thoughts on that. Uh, The first one was in 2002, and I was skiing in Crested Butte, and it would have been the boot type of uh, ACL tear, which we can talk about later. And then the second one was unfortunately one year later, I was back probably about 110, 115%. My buddy who I was skiing with, he was another orthopedic surgeon, looked at me the day before and said, what is going on? I've never seen you ski like this. This is incredible. Cause I just worked so hard for a year. And then I blew it out at uh, in Big Sky, Montana. That was in 2003.
0: Terrible. It's, it's, uh, well, I'm glad that you've recovered since then. And what are the odds of someone fully tearing the same ACL twice?
1: Um, it's probably about 5%. It's higher. Actually, it's twice as high to tear your contralateral ACL, your other ACL than it is to do the same ACL. Of course, if many... you tear it, it's hundred <laughs> percent. <Right. laughs> it's like oh, getting
0: gosh. pregnant. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. I, I, sometimes I don't even like to think about it. How many ACL replacement surgeries have you performed in your career? Probably about a 1,000. That's incredible. What was it like being the team physician for the San Francisco Giants baseball team?
1: Well, it would have been better if they'd been winning when I was taking <laughs> care of them. It was, <laughs> <at> the, <laughs> it was back in the Jeff Kent, Barry Bond days. Uh, very fun. I mean, uh, I was there the last year at uh, Candlestick and the first year at AT&T Park, and um it was it was fun it was really a lot of work because in addition to my practice it wasn't like I slowed my practice down at all so I was going to you know I think I covered a hundred games and I went to a spring training for about four weeks and then I'm doing all this other stuff so it was difficult plus I was taking care of a high school and University of San Francisco but it's interesting I've I'd, I'd had experience with teams before through my fellowship and through my residency program, but being the man as it is for a couple of years was interesting.
0: How do you know if your ACL has been torn?
1: You go to the doctor, they tell you, or the most common feeling that people get is a pop in their knee and then swelling in their knee. And we have what's called the double fist sign, where if you took your two fists and put them on top of each other, uh, some patients will describe one fist shifting over the other one. Sometimes I'll have somebody come in and they think that they dislocated their kneecap, but they really tore their ACL. But the biggest thing is a pop, then immediate pain, difficulty walking, bearing weight, and then the knee swells up over the next day or two.
0: What percentage of your ACL surgeries have been on skiers and snowboarders?
1: Probably about 20%, I would say, 20 to 25%.
0: Wow, that's, that's more than I expected. Who blows their yes. ACLs more, skiers or snowboarders?
1: By far, skiers. And why is that? so it's interesting if you look at the injury rates between snowboarders and skiers the rates of injuries are relatively similar that's mostly coming out of european literature i tried to do a study years ago here and i went out to tahoe and i talked to all the uh, places to try to get data no one would give me any data so it's difficult to get this information it seems to be pretty similar the borders tend to have more upper extremity injuries especially if you fall backwards if you think about it if you fall forward your arms are like doing a push-up and your elbows and shoulders can absorb the shock when you fall backwards your elbows and shoulders lock and things tend to snap the thing with borders is their legs hips everything's rotating together Whereas skiers, you have an independent ski, so you have a size 170 foot at the bottom, and any torque that's going on on that uh, that ski is independently going to the, sorry, bringing back bad memories here, (laughs) goes independently to your knee. And therefore, there's a lot higher rate of injuries in skiers than uh, boarders for ACLs.
0: The word torque really got me. Oh, man. Yeah. Give me a shiver. Uh, Because I've blown my ACL and and you were the one that fixed
1: it. Are skiers more likely to tear their ACLs than
0: athletes in other sports?
1: It's been difficult to get some of these numbers, but in general, the high injury sports are the pivoting sports. So skiing, football, volleyball, soccer, basketball, and lacrosse are the real biggies.
0: Why are women more susceptible to ACL tears than men?
1: Well, first, with skiers, that's a debatable point. There's been a variety of studies that have come out that have shown that men and women have similar ACL tear rates um, in skiers. Um, Not every report, but there's been quite a few of them that have come out uh, with regards to that, whereas in soccer and basketball, those are uh, looked at very carefully in uh, high school students and college students. And there have been anywhere from three to eight times as high a rate of ACL tears in their girl or women players than the men. There's been all sorts of different things that people have looked at. Most likely it has to do with response time, meaning that when your knee starts to torque, the ligaments aren't strong enough to hold your knee together. The muscles have to fire to actually hold your knee together. Uh, you only have to shift the knee a few millimeters to pop the ACL. So if those muscles don't respond quickly enough and stabilize that joint, they can be strong, but if they're not firing at the right time and the right muscles firing, it you tear your ACL. So there's been studies looking at response time. The equivalent of a good high school male athlete is the equivalent of an elite athlete female. So for whatever reason, it seems that the men have a bit of advantage on that. The other thing is if you look at sports such as basketball and you look at a man or a boy, when they jump, they keep their knees shoulder width and they don't go into the knock knee position. Whereas a lot of women, for whatever reason, when they jump, they land and their knees go into a knock knee position, which is a high risk position. And then if we look at quad to hamstring uh, strength ratios, women are uh, tend to be a lot more quad uh, heavy, meaning that their quads are much stronger than their hamstrings in ratios a lot more often than men. So, there's all sorts of other things they've looked at, also some anatomic stuff, but those are probably the big ones.
0: Why do skiers blow their ACLs so frequently?
1: Well, you got this gigantic ski at the bottom of your foot that basically makes this huge lever arm, so any torque that happens on your foot is transferred into this ski. The ski is attached to the snow and There you go. Most bindings do not actually prevent ACL tears. There are some new ones. Uh, There's the knee type of ACL prevention binding. And some of the early reports looking at some very early studies on that seem to be positive and promising, but not you know, definite yet on that. Uh, but that's the big thing. It's just having an independent lever at the bottom of your uh, leg. And then the ski boots, the bindings were basically there to prevent tibial shaft fractures, which were the boot top fractures, which were the, the big thing before they had good bindings. And they've helped with, you don't see that many tibia fractures anymore, but you see a lot of ACL tears. So they haven't really helped with that.
0: After ACL surgery, when can one return to skiing and snowboarding?
1: So the average is somewhere between six and 12 months. It depends on the injury itself. There's a lot more than than just an ACL tear. Many people tear other ligaments with the ACL, which makes it a longer recovery, or they tear the meniscus, or they they damage the articular cartilage. So the, the time to return can be longer. And everybody's return is a little bit different. We certainly like people who are motivated. Sometimes it's just the way the body is. Some bodies I uh, get quite a bit of uh, muscle atrophy very rapidly and, and take forever, regardless if you become a gym rat and you just live in the gym, sometimes the muscle just doesn't want to come back. Some people struggle with motion. Other people struggle with swelling in the joint. Everyone's a little different. Um, 6 to 12 months is uh, typically the normal.
0: When will one be back to 100% after ACL surgery?
1: So regardless of the sport, skiing, football, soccer, basketball, most people, when they come back their first season, do okay, but it's not 100%. And it's not just the physical part. There's a lot of mental things that go on with these injuries. So first, you've had a big injury, and you remember that big injury and now you get back on your skis. And the first thought is, oh my God, the last time I was on these things, I blew out my ACL. So you got that going on in your brain. Then you had a surgery. Some guy like me went and rooted around in your knee and fixed you up and it hurt rehabbing this thing for six months. And everybody's been saying, "Yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great. Now you're looking down and you got your skis on like, oh, my God, is this all going to work? So there's a lot of mental obstacles that people have to get over. Sometimes if you're a big thinker, it's a bad thing. Okay, I mean, I have an expression sometimes, you know, some patients just don't even worry about it. I I call it the no brain, no pain. I mean, if you if you just don't think (laughs) about stuff, nothing hurts. You just go right back out there and do it. Uh, If you tend to be very cerebral about it, then you're going to have some time. So that first season is just you getting used to your new knee, kind of proving to yourself that everything's okay. Season two, rock on. That's where things really go.
0: Great advice because that's what I experienced. And I do agree with you. The mental part was the hardest part for me. And it was season two when it was rock on. How important is it to have a physical therapist during your acl recovery and for how long
1: so physical therapy is important but it's the amount of physical therapy that each person needs is a little bit different okay so physical therapists are very important for acl recovery most Athletes, though, are going to be hitting the gym and uh, doing what uh, the therapist and the doctor tells them to do. So the first part of the therapy, very important, that's to get the swelling down, to get your motion back. But then the strengthening portion of your recovery can often be done quite a bit on your own. Then it's nice, again, to hit the physical therapy center again before you go back to sports when you're doing some of your sports-specific things, and they can really guide you with that depending upon what sport you want to go to. So they have some certain things they do with skiers, which tend to uh, be helpful. How important
0: is it to use a brace after ACL surgery?
1: Braces are interesting. The Probably the best study ever done was in football players, and they were looking at their football team, and they took 100 players who had ACL tears, put braces on 50 of them and didn't give braces to the other 50, and they had the exact same recurrence rates. So in general... For most pivoting injuries, ACL braces don't do a whole lot. They do help psychologically and they do help in contact sports. So if you're a football player that gets hit from the side, which is unusual in skiing, but it still happens. People still collide or you collide with objects. The brace can help, but the part that causes the pivoting where your knee pops, just as an example, I tore my second uh, ACL with a brace on and didn't help me at all. So. They can be helpful, especially psychologically, because it makes you feel better. You got this brace on. The other thing is they have shown in skiers, if you have residual laxity in your knee joint, meaning that you didn't have your ACL fixed because it was a partial tear and you have a little bit of laxity, or, or you had it fixed and it stretched a little bit, which sometimes happens, the braces seem to help prevent recurrent injuries in that situation.
0: So would you recommend a brace for skiers?
1: I discuss it with every patient and I basically tell them what I just said to you and some patients want it, some patients don't. I often will say you might want to have a brace, use it your first season, see how you do. If you hate it, throw it in the closet after your first season.
0: I wanted to use one, but my insurance wouldn't cover it. So I didn't and uh, I was fine. Yeah. What is the future of ACL surgery and recovery? Is there anything new and exciting on the horizon that could make ACL repair and recovery shorter or easier?
1: Regarding recovery, the only thing that they're sort of looking at right now is steroids, growth hormone, and all that type stuff, which is, that's a slippery slope when you start (laughs) talking about using those things for recovery. There was an interesting study where they were looking at amputees returning uh, with their prosthesis using this uh, technique where they actually reduce the blood supply using a tourniquet, and it tends to stimulate things. But then they uh, did a recent study with ACL reconstruction, unfortunately, it didn't seem to help too much. The biggest thing that I've seen is really with the reconstructions or repairs. So nowadays, the vast majority of people, when you have your ACL fixed, it's not repaired, it's reconstructed. We put a new ACL in and we use a graft, whether it's from you or somebody else, we put something in there that becomes your new ACL. So it's good, but it's not anatomic it's not exactly the same we did repairs uh, years ago and retail rates were very high so most people are pretty shy about doing repairs but there's been some studies and research done in Boston at children's Hospital there uh, it's called the uh, bear study and it's a bridge enhanced extracellular matrix essentially they take a sponge they wrap it up with this sponge and then inject it with Prp or blood and the concept is that this allows the ACL to heal when normally it just sort of withers away when you sew it together. And their early results have been very promising, pretty much comparable to reconstructions. Knowing that we're dealing with very young individuals in this first study, young people heal better than old people, period. So it's still very promising, but we don't know if it's gonna transfer into uh, adults.
0: Well, that is exciting. And I hope the results do continue to show promise because uh, anything that would shorten the recovery too is is obviously anything anatomical would obviously be fantastic. Um, what can skiers and snowboarders do to avoid blowing their acls
1: (laughs) stop skiing
0: (laughs) that's pretty simple
1: so um i think one of the big things to do is you got to get in shape before the ski season and it's not just you know getting your legs strong you have to have your core strong everybody has their kind of their own little thing that they do i have my own little sessions that i like to do i've always noticed the first two days that I go out, there's all sorts of muscles and I, and I work out a lot and I, I cycle a lot and I'm you know I stay very fit. But there's muscles that I, I feel like I haven't used since the last ski season. They're, they're kind of barking at me the next day. and of course when I was 20 they barked at me for about an hour. now it's you know a couple of weeks for them to kind of calm down. But I've found certain exercises that I do that sort of recreate a skiing motion that seem to decrease that initial first couple of day, oddball muscle pain. So I think that that's uh, helpful. The um, ACL friendly bindings are promising that might may be helpful uh, for skiers in the future. Um, I would recommend you mentioned this earlier, the Vermont Ski Safety. Um, it's just vermontskisafety.com. It's pretty interesting data. That was from Dr. Robert Johnson at University of Vermont. My daughter went to University of Vermont, big skier. They actually, it's pretty cool. They took these and this is old school. I mean, like beta max and VHS, I don't know, 16 millimeter uh, videos of people who came in to their clinic and they had videos of themselves tearing their ACLs. Like, hey, doc, this is what happened. I still see it on cell phones. People bring this stuff in now. So they went and put this stuff together and they got some biomechanics to look at it and kind of draw all the little uh, vectors, et cetera. And they figured out common ways that people blow out their ACL when they're a skier and they put together a program to try to prevent it. And they kind of divided your injuries into what they call the phantom foot and then the boot induced injuries. I'm not sure the, what percentage nowadays that is, but it's certainly one is just the, the phantom foot is basically you got this big you know ski on the bottom and it catches and rotates and tears your knee. The, the boot induced is a little bit more interesting. That's what happens. That was my first ACL landing poorly over a jump. And I had at Crested Butte terrible conditions blew out sidewall on my skis. Remember the old X screams? Remember those Sullivan oh, yeah. X screams? Oh, oh baby, yeah. those blew, those, blew those puppies right out. They were, uh, <laughs> you know, destroyed. So I went into this shop and I had these little short carving skis that I'd never tried. I'm not a racer. and like, wow, that looks cool. It's just ice out there anyhow. So I put these things on and I was skiing with a ex-russian racer and we were having a just an absolute hoot and i went off this jump landed right on my tails they were as stiff as boards and i sat back mistake so when you sit back you get a massive quad contraction to keep you upright not a good thing because your foot's attached to this ski that's attached to the snow so when your quad contracts it actually pulls the tibia directly forward and then you sit back so you got the lever of your back of your boots pop bad news. So uh, that's the second way you you can tear them. Boot induced.
0: Boot induced sounds bad.
1: Yeah, it was bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what are the options in ACL surgery? Hamstring versus patellar tendon versus cadaver? What are the advantages and disadvantages of each? And which is better for skiers and riders?
1: So first, uh, as we talked about with ACL reconstruction, we're typically not repairing it, we're reconstructing it. So we put a new in, which is a graft. So you can take the graft from two places. One is from the person that's called an autograft. The other is from the freezer, and that's a cadaver graft or an allograft. It means it's human, but it's not you. And then you might think, well, you know, get a heart transplant or kidney transplant, you worry about, you know, rejection. There's no rejection really with regards to these. It's just a piece of gristle at this point. It's a piece of, of collagen, but it doesn't have a blood supply. It gets a blood supply after it's been implanted, regardless of uh, somebody else or yours. So it really doesn't seem to have that problem with the rejecting the graft. So the first two categories is auto versus aloe. In general, the younger you are, the better you do with an auto. And that means that the younger you are, the lower your re-injury rate will be if you use your own tissue. Makes sense.
0: And And then how about the hamstring versus patellar tendon?
1: So the first graft that was really used was the patella tendon. The second was hamstring. I trained initially at a place that did kind of 50% of both, so I was very, very comfortable. And this was in the 80s, so I was very comfortable with both. The hamstring's a little trickier to get the graft out, There's, uh, if you're not used to it but there's also another autograft that people don't talk about too much but it's becoming a little bit more popular called a quadriceps tendon so that's just the other end you have your kneecap you have the patella tendon that goes down towards your tibia but then you have the quadriceps tendon goes the other way and you can use that with a piece of bone from the patella or by itself excellent graft it was sort of popularized in connecticut for whatever reason i use it sometimes um i just am not as comfortable with it i tend to use it for revision, redos, when I want to use an autograph that they don't have anything else particular that's available, then I like to use the quadriceps graft. But many people now are starting to use that as a um, primary graft, it's very good. The, uh, there's good and bad with every graft. So patella tendon, why doesn't everybody just have a patella tendon graft? There's more kneeling pain. There's more anterior knee pain and there's more numbness in the front of the knee and the scar is a little bit bigger. There's more difficulty getting your motion back. Sometimes there's more uh, pain and more difficulty with quadriceps atrophy. So I still love the patella tendon graft and I tend to use it for young athletic individuals. And I think it's a great graft. Uh, they tend not to have those problems as often um, as somebody who's uh, older and um, And I have some little tricks to prevent that knee pain uh, by the kneecap. Hamstring graft, also excellent graft. Um, The anterior knee pain, meaning the uh, knee pain in the front of your knee tends to be less. If you look at the results side by side, they're very similar, patella tendon and um, hamstring. If you use a little machine to test how tight the graft is, patella tendon tends to be a little bit tighter than a um, hamstring. So um, I still use hamstrings a lot. Also, I tend to use that more in the weekend warrior group. Again, every surgeon has their own philosophies on this. Allografts, another good option. Younger individuals, it just has a higher uh, re-tear rate. I tend to use that in the older individuals.
0: Makes sense. And is one better for skiers or snowboarders? Uh, you're sort of making it sound like it's more based on age.
1: It is t- tends to be a little bit more based on age. You don't kneel when you. I guess you kneel a little bit on a board, you know, when you're just kind of leaning forward. But you tend to have your knee in snow, which probably feels pretty good on the knee. But like a if you were a catcher, a baseball catcher, I wouldn't use a patella tendon because you're kneeling all the time. If I if you were a plumber or electrician, I tend not to to do that. If you were a nun. I did an ACL uh, reconstruction on a nun one time, believe it or not. Used a hamstring. <laughs> so, that is um, funny. Yeah, but I think that it's really a toss up uh, hamstring, patella tendon, and quadriceps tendon. I was down in I gave a, a conference down at Mammoth Mountain a couple of years ago, and the guys down there were big on quadriceps tendon, getting very good results. So I think that's a good option too.
0: Really? Well, it sounds like, yeah, it's it's really between you and your surgeon and, and your age and a, a myriad of factors. Not There's not just one simple answer for which graph to get if you're a skier or a snowboarder.
1: Yes. You also don't want to push your Surgeon into doing something he's he or she's uncomfortable doing uh, because they get their best results with what they're comfortable with.
0: Great advice. Uh, what does the ACL surgery involve exactly? You just a summary, a quick and dirty.
1: What it the ACL is like a piece of rope connecting the tibia to the femur. So we drill a hole in the femur where the ACL inserts. We drill a hole in the tibia where the ACL inserts, and then we have a variety of ways of putting the graft in and connecting it to that bone, and then you're done close it up, fix anything else that's going on. And now it now the struggles begin. Now it's all about rehab. And while it's rehabbing, you're waiting for the graft to integrate into the bone and to get a new blood supply on the graft itself.
0: How many times can you repair the same ACL?
1: Essentially infinite number of times. What happens if you tear it too many times and you keep reconstructing? And I I did the fifth ACL reconstruction on a 21-year-old soccer player at USF a number of years ago. My advice to him, get another sport. Uh, no, he was 20. He was 20. <laughs> Stop as, as playing soccer. Exactly. So some people, there's something that's going on. I mean, everybody who did it before I looked at the stuff, they've done a, a nice job. Um, and I told him after I did mine, uh, my recommendation it said if, if he was my son, I would tell him to maybe really think about another sport. And he happened to be a, uh, uh, a state champ swimmer also from uh, Washington State. So we went back, transferred up to Washington and became a swimmer. Did fine. Smart man. Yeah, there's a, you know, by round five, it's, you know, the gods are talking to you at that point, you know, (laughs) find another sport. But what happens when you keep doing them is you run out of bone because you're drilling these holes and the holes get bigger sometimes. So occasionally what you have to do probably in 10 or 20% of redos, you go in, you, you take everything out pack bone graft into the defects, and then come back three or four months later and you have sort of a virginal knee to start all over again and then you start putting the new ones in.
0: How do some people have no ACL at all and still ski just fine, like my friend Todd?
1: Yeah, you got to figure out what religion they are and join up, because that's a great, that's a great, that's a great thing. Yeah, so, I, I don't understand. So essentially, remember we talked about two different type of stabilizers in all joints, including the knee. You have the static restraints, which are ligaments. And then you have the dynamic restraints, which are the muscles that contract to hold you into place. So some people have fantastic muscles and their inherent reflexes that when their knee is starting to shift out and their ACL would normally be tightening, their muscles contract all at the right time and the right way and their knees never pop out of place. The other thing is flexion is relatively stable for the ACL, except for that boot top injury. But the pivoting Typically, happens more in extension than flexion. Most of the time, you're in a flexed position, which is which is good. The problem, of course, is if you're you come out of that flexed position between turns, coming over bumps, landing poorly, etc. And now your knee is an extension and you're pivoting at the same time. That's uh, that's kind of the high risk for individuals
0: who doesn't need their ACL replaced.
1: Todd. <laughs> and, that, and that's it that's a beast. No. so um in general if you don't participate in so let's say i get somebody comes in they're a runner they don't or a cyclist they don't even think about skiing and whatever tore their acl in some bizarre way or maybe they decided to go skiing for their first time or whatever and, and tore their acl they never want to ski again i get an mri if they only have an ACL tear, they didn't do bad damage to the articular cartilage or meniscus, that means they're a pure ACL tear. I talked to them about maybe you wanna do a non-op, let's see how you do. And in that situation, you rehab them, see how they do. If their knee starts becoming unstable clinically, meaning they come in and say, my knee's popping out, then you fix them. The results aren't quite as good if you do it after six months, but they're still very good, it's pretty close. What happens is, Past about six months when that ACL's gone, other stabilizers, static restraints, see more stress. So you get a little bit of a loosier, goosier knee when you do them later.
0: What is a good timeline for skiers and snowboarders to follow during their recovery process? And what are the major milestones?
1: Well, first you have to think of this as being a six to nine month recovery, possibly even a full year. The first thing you have to decide is the timing of the surgery. So we've looked at doing surgery early, meaning you're skiing out in Vail, you pop your knee, you go down to the, the clinic there, and one of the Vail docs said, hey, I got an opening tomorrow, I'll fix you, and then you can fly back and Dr. Montgomery will will work on your rehab for you. Um, so not a bad idea, you get it done, you get to hang in Vail for a few more days, it's pretty place. But we found that the risk of getting stiffness and things like that is tougher if you have a big swollen, painful knee. So we call it prehab, but often it's nicer in certain situations to rehab the knee a little bit before we do the ACL. The overall recovery actually is easier and shorter. So often it's two or three weeks before we do the ACL. Sometimes people come in, they popped it on Saturday, I see them on Tuesday, and they've got... 80% 80% of their motion already, just a little bit of swelling. Their knee is just loose as can be, and we can fix them right away. The first part is, what's the timing? The first week is, as you probably well know, not so fun. Um, your knee is swollen. It hurts. You may or may not use a bending machine. You're on crutches. You're popping pain pills. You're kind of hating life at that point. You go see the doctor. He sets you up with physical therapy. And now you enter what I refer to as the boring stage. So once the wound is healed, you can really kind of do everything but run, jump, and twist, meaning all the fun stuff. So you can't run, you can't jump, you can't twist. It's the boring stage. But once you can bend enough, you can get on a stationary bike, you can walk, you can do leg presses, you can do all sorts of exercises, but you can't do the fun stuff. Work on your core, all those type things. Somewhere around three and four months, that's uh, post-op, that's when I let people run, You've got to have excellent motion, excellent strength, minimal swelling. And then around five months, if everything is still going the way we want it to, we look at sports specific things. Again, that's sometimes we send you back to the therapist to work uh, with them on some sports specific stuff and then return to sports somewhere between six and nine months.
0: Great. Well, that, that is really nice because I remember when I went through my recovery process, the milestones were really, really important. And it motivated me and kept me focused. But I also had some mental issues with it. So I would miss milestones. I wouldn't be right on track. So what's your advice for people? You know, Is there a lot of variance from person to person? If you are missing milestones, should you be getting depressed like I was?
1: Never get depressed. Every single person recovers at a different rate. They actually recover a different rate with their two knees. I've seen... I'm, seen lots of people who've torn both of them, both of them multiple times. So um, the recovery is always a little bit different. And uh, as long as you're still maintaining your motion and getting the swelling down and getting your muscle strength back, don't worry about all those little milestones you'll get, you'll get there.
0: That's great advice. What are the biggest risks during ACL surgery recovery?
1: Well, there's two risks. One is don't do enough. The other is do too much. So we worry about people who are kind of the lump on the log. Like I said, I have patients that won't do anything except when they go to physical therapy. And it's not like you're going to go five days a week. Um, Or, I mean, I had one of my only early retears was a college, actually, college basketball player who was not even a week out yet. And she went out and played basketball. And went up, jumped up to do a layup, and tore her graft. She wasn't even a week out, so uh, you know, oh my God, yeah, nothing, <laughs> yeah, nothing. Trust me, her trainers didn't know about it. Um, so yeah, so we went back in, put a new one in, and she didn't do that next time. So that's a you know kind of a, a rarity. Uh, the I mean, that's I don't know what was going on. That was just one of those you know mental lapses. Um, but in general, people who are a little bit more aggressive tend to do a little bit better. They recover quicker doing a lot, but not too much. Go with the guidance of your therapist and your, uh, uh, and your surgeon.
0: Yeah, I mean, that segues right into my next question, is so are motivated athletes better post-surgery patients because they do all the required physical therapy, or are they worse because they overdo exercises and set themselves back?
1: In general, I think that they do better than uh, people who aren't as motivated but as you noted, you're a super motivated guy, and you had you were looking probably all over the internet at, at milestones and stuff like, hey, I, I'm not there. You know, it's like a, a new parent and their kid's not talking yet, but, you know, Susie's talking, little Jimmy's not, oh my God, there must be something wrong with him. So, you know, you start to go into this panic mode and you spiral down. So, like I said, the, the no brain, no pain sometimes helps with that a little bit. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> don't, don't overthink it. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, is motivation is Great so though. You really, the more motivated people in general do better.
0: Some say at the three month post surgery mark, there is a time when the repaired ACL is less strong. What's going on there and what can we do to avoid damaging our ACL at the three month post surgery mark?
1: Well, it's remember I told you that when you put the ACL in, it's just a little piece of gristle. That's what it is. And it gets a new blood supply. So it's healing into the bone on each end. And then this tissue called synovium is starting to cover the graft and actually put new blood vessels into it and maybe laying down some new collagen, new gristle. The problem is that it's thought that at around three months that that revascularization stage is actually weakening the graft a little bit. So that's why, I'm very cautious with just running. I don't like people to start running until three to four months out. And if I don't see the knee looking the way I want it to, I don't let them run yet. I just, I'll hold them back until it's time. So the best thing is make sure, that's where I always look at people at around three months. Make sure that your physical therapist and your uh, surgeon are in agreement before you go do something new.
0: Great, really good advice. Yeah, I don't want to don't want to make any moves without the approval of, of of the bosses. Yeah. What is more important for skiers and riders after ACL surgery? Full extension or being able to touch your heel to your butt?
1: Absolutely full extension. I like to see full extension in 1 week. So when the patients come in, if I can see a patient extend their knee fully straight, bend to 90 degrees and do a straight leg raise at 1 week, smooth sailing. Everything's going to be fine. A uh, flexion you can always get back. I mean, I, I shouldn't say always, but you can really work on flexion and get it back pretty easily. Even later on, I mean, it, there's a very small percentage of people that need a manipulation under anesthesia to get their flexion back. They just, you know, some you see some people make a lot of scar on their skin. They get keloids. Well, some people just lay down a ton of scar tissue in a joint when it's operated on. Those people get stiff. Sometimes we have to do extra stuff to get them moving. Extension, if you don't get it early, is really, really, Really hard to get later. So I don't worry too much about flexion. I worry about extension.
0: What should one be eating to maximize recovery? Well,
1: that's an interesting question. I do have a lot of patients ask me about dietary stuff. I'm probably like the worst person to ask because as <laughs> I eat everything and a lot of it. But in general, no one is really proven that if you're healthy and you have normal, you know, protein levels and all that kind of stuff in your blood, that certain diets will actually help you recover better. So um, in general, just having a well-rounded and balanced diet is a good thing. The thing that I worry about the most is some people, especially athletes, they go, oh, I'm not doing my usual routine. I, I got to cut way back on my intake because I don't want to get fat. <laughs> and I see a lot of athletes are like used to burning 5,000 calories a day. Now I'm, you know, burning a thousand or whatever. Um, you can cut back a little bit. You don't have to eat 5,000 calories a day, but you should still don't go on a diet because your body is trying to recover and it's eating calories, just healing that knee. So don't go on a diet when you're recovering. You you'll, the, the uh, little bit of uh, extra weight will come off when you start uh, getting back to it later on. What should
0: one avoid eating and drinking to maximize recovery? Sometimes you hear things, don't take ibuprofen, for example.
1: Yeah, so ibuprofen's an interesting concept. That It's called an NSAID. So aspirin was the first one. It's non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, steroids meaning cortisone. So in the lab, if you had rats and things like that, high doses of NSAIDs, and you break their bones, and you tear their ligaments and to heal quite as well. And the probable reason is that healing is an inflammatory process. When you cut your skin, and then it starts to scab and heal over, it's actually inflammation. That's what causes it to heal. Um, and then you take an NSAID, and you're cutting back on inflammation. The thing is that the only time we've really found that it's important not to take NSAIDs is with spinal fusions and with delayed union and bone healing. But otherwise, we just haven't seen it clinically, but it's always a thought back there that we think about.
0: What are the different braces used after ACL surgery and what are the goals of each brace?
1: So there's a variety of different types of braces Uh, Starting with just an ace wrap or a sleeve and then a hinge brace and custom type braces that you see with carbon on the top and the bottom. They're very effective in contact sports such as football when you get hit from the side. But they don't really prevent non-contact rotational injuries because they're not directly attached to the bones. To really prevent it, you'd have to drive a pin through the top of the brace into your femur and another one into your tibia. It'd work great, but it would be very, very painful. As a matter of fact, as I noted before, I tore my ACL the second time with my brace on. They do help if you have residual laxity, surgical or non-op people. And as we talked about earlier, they can have a positive psychological effect one of the big things with uh, skiers is that the brace has to fit with your ski boot. If the tibial, the lower part is too long and you have a relatively high ski boot, it can be very awkward and be very uncomfortable. So if you're gonna get a brace, bring your ski boots in when you get fitted, make sure that it works with that. The other thing has to do with what's called proprioception. And proprioception is your body's ability to know where it is in space. So when you close your eyes and you move your arms around, you can feel and and know where your hand is in space. If you've been drinking, your proprioception goes down and you can't touch your finger to your nose anymore. So when you tear your ACL, there's nerve endings in the ACL which help with proprioception and they get damaged and don't recover with reconstructions. Therefore, your proprioception has diminished. It's one of the thoughts on why some people keep tearing their ACL is that they never really recover that properly. We think that more prolonged physical therapy helps with that. But also the braces can help with proprioception because when your knee shifts and wiggles around, it puts pressure on the brace in different spots and that uh, transmits through the skin and through the muscles into proprioceptive nerve endings there, and it can actually help a little bit. So there can be a positive proprioceptive effect, even with something as simple as an ACE bandage. Well, that's all I've got
0: for you today, Dr. Montgomery. Thank you so much for being here and answering all of my questions and educating our audience and educating myself. Is there anything else you'd like to add? The only thing is,
1: let's hope for a great Snow season and a skiing and boarding season. So we got to have the snow, but we got to be able to open up and we got to get rid of this pandemic and be able to go back out there and enjoy the outdoors again.
0: I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Take care.
0: You too. Thank you so much for listening to the Snowbrains podcast. If you liked this podcast, please share with your friends and family and please subscribe. To find out more about Snowbrains, please visit us at snowbrains.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Snowbrains. This episode of the Snowbrains podcast was brought to you by Alta Ski Area. The editing of this episode was done by Robert Wilkinson. The music was created by Chad Crouch. I'm your host, producer, and creator, Miles Clark. Thank you for listening.